0: What is going on? This is Evan, the show when you're listening to the Success is Learned Behavior podcast. I have a very special guest and I, I always call everybody a special guest and I mean it every single time I say it, uh, but we have <laughs> someone here who I've been trying to get on the show even before this became a thing when it was just a concept because I believe her story is extremely powerful and I'm glad that I'm getting to talk to her on the phone today. She's an incredible writer. Uh, she's a traveling spoken word artist She's actually performed on the world's largest Poetry sh- Showcase two times And mm-hmm. she is a uh, Aneurysm And stroke survivor I'm talking about none other than Leah James Thank you so much for chatting with me today How are you? Hey.
1: I'm good. I'm very excited to be on your show. You know, we've been planning this forever. So forever. I'm really
0: happy. But you know, you know, sometimes when it's like that, when it's harder to get in touch or it, it, there's a hiccup somewhere, it's usually because it's supposed to happen and it's going to be right. amazing once it, you know, you get the ending product. So I'm, I'm just exactly. looking forward to this. Um, and again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, your story is absolutely powerful to me, and I believe everybody else is going to believe the same. Say the same thing about it. Um, Thank you. Let's talk about your earlier life. Um, you grew up and she already corrected me before. And I'm going to make sure <laughs> I say it right. It's Joliet, Illinois. Correct? Not Illinois. Yes, right. and, and, and tell everybody about the whole Illinois thing. Because everybody around the world saying it wrong.
1: Right. It was when I was in eighth grade, I had a social studies teacher. And like we would fail her class if we said Illinois. Got you. And it was like real triggering. So every time I hear someone say Illinois, I'm like, uh-uh. No, okay. it's Illinois
0: <laughs> Well, okay, alright, so now I got it now Joliet, Illinois um, And yes. how far is this from Chicago?
1: It's about like 30-40 minutes west Of okay. the city Okay. Yeah, depending on how you get
0: there So explain to me what life was like during that time When you were growing up uh, in Joliet
1: It was awful it was Awful
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oh man
0: um,
1: Well, I grew up in a very abusive household. Um, My father was extremely abusive to my mother. And, you know, I grew up thinking that was normal. Um, And when I was five years old, my mom finally left my father. And by the time I was 13, um, I lived in a total of seven or eight different houses. Wow. Um, We were extremely poor. My mother was a CNA. My father was a drug dealer and a mechanic. So once you don't got that drug money, you know, Mm. you're poor. Yeah. So my mother raised four kids by herself. I do have um, an older sibling, which is how I ended up out in New Jersey, but um, living out there, it was it was pretty rough. I grew up in a lot of rough areas, a lot of low income, you know, stereotypical inner city areas um, where there was danger literally everywhere, and nice. I didn't know like that that wasn't the norm. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like I thought that that was the way of life.
0: Absolutely, and, and even growing up in Newark and you know, leaving and being able to live different places and getting people's perspective in Newark where they ask me questions like, yo, how's it living there? Or is it safe? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, all of these different stories. You don't realize that everywhere around the world isn't exactly like that. You're just like, right. you're just growing up in it. So, yeah. That's- exactly. Like, I'm like,
1: they're like, oh, I heard that Chicago is crazy. Is it dangerous there? And I'm like, uh, well, I didn't know it was dangerous because right. it's normal. Exactly. Like, you know you normalize violence you normalize gun violence you normalize gang activity like drug dealers like all that stuff was normal growing up like i didn't realize that there was such a taboo around all of that or a, you know like a a negative connotation to any of that to be honest i didn't know i was like super naive and like the opposite way it's yeah. crazy I, I
0: just like i you know the title of this podcast is uh success is learned behavior i think you know poverty's learned behavior, all of those different things, racism sure. all of those things so it's it, it, our environment we learned that it was you know uh not supposed to be that way at right. the time, but you know um here we are um I wanted to get into uh talk a little bit more about your mom mm-hmm. um, now, losing a loved one is extremely hard, yeah, um losing a parent is even harder. Now, can you describe the pain you experienced when you lost your mom at the age of 13?
1: I feel like if I were ever to get hit by a train Mm. and survive and have to learn everything all over again, that's like the only thing I could possibly think to compare it to. Wow. Like, I always think of that like. I've tried to write poems about it and it never works, but that like analogy always comes into my head. So my mother wasn't just my mother. She was my mother, like, and my father, like, you know, my father wasn't in my life and I was the baby out of five. So I was the closest to my mom. I shared a bed with my mother up until I was like 10 years old, three years before she died, because she would just give my room away to everybody. She let everybody live with us. Okay. So like when, she died my whole world collapsed like literally like it affected me so much so that my immune system shut down Hmm. and I got extremely sick I had a double ear infection in both of my ears Um, um I have asthma so I was on four different asthma medications I couldn't breathe I was like it was awful like is that I've been through a lot of shit. Can I cuss on here? Oh yeah, yeah, know. you can you, <laughs> can. you can you're fine. <laughs> I've been through a lot of shit and that's probably the worst thing I've ever experienced. Um but like that day, like I, I remember exactly what I was wearing. I was wearing like a blue T shirt with this skirt with these patches on it and some blue flip flops. Like wow. I remember like minuscule details like that about her passing but um as she passed actually this sunday on mother's day will be the anniversary of her death she died the day after mother's day and wow. some years it falls on the same day so that's real shitty yes. um but like um it, it, you know she died the day after mother's day and in may and then in june i moved out to new jersey to live with my oldest sister so it was like not only did i just lose my mother i had to my whole life changed like instantly it
0: was awful well you know what people say they can't imagine but I I I can't because I you you know my mom is still around but mm -hmm. I do know um I experienced something similar when my grandmother passed away uh well uh, because you know she loved me and you know, she showed so much care. Well, we all called her Nana. It was my great-grandmother, right. rather. And I know as a child, my body completely shut down. And yeah. I experienced some of the same, you know, things uh, there. But um, it's it's incredible to see, because you've gone through multiple situations. And for you to get through that and you to still be your, I've, I've, I don't remember ever seeing you or you just showing me a side of you that's down and you've we'll talk about you going through depression and different things of that mm-hmm. nature but it, it, how do you just like I guess shine this light of positivity going through something so traumatic as that
1: well it took me almost more than half of my life to get to the woman I am today okay like the singing dancing happily it's working on instagram you know <laughs> right you follow me some nice work videos <laughs> um <laughs> like that that i don't want to say it's a new thing because i was like that as a child before all the trauma yes but it took me my almost my entire life to find this joy again wow to heal from this to like after my mom died like i don't remember a lot of those years after like i, I was Whew. thrown into another traumatic situation but like it hit me so hard that i was numb like yes. i didn't smile for years and now if you see me i'm always smiling like all the Even time when i'm crying i'm smiling it's crazy yes. And i'm like there's something wrong with me why <laughs> am i laughing having a mental breakdown <laughs> right. but like i have found my joy and there were literally days where i would lay in bed and pray to god that i did not wake up the next morning
2: oh my god like i would
1: beg God to like, let me die. Like my mom. Cause I wanted my mom. Yes. And so it, it took me a very, very long time. Like my faith played a really big role in that. I used to be super Christian.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now the Christians think I'm a super heathen, even though I still love Jesus. It's really funny. <laughs> um, but my faith played a really big role in like, um, giving me the foundation I needed to stay sane. And to find that joy and to find my purpose. And I I believe finding my purpose through poetry really helped me find my voice, which in return helped me find that will to live again and that joy that comes with living.
0: Um, Yes, yes. yeah, It's
1: still a process. I still I still be crying like I was just crying earlier today. (laughs) you know that's see this is
0: exactly why i want to talk to you wanted to talk to you because i know you're going to keep it real because i i Mm -hmm. think there's so much content and there's so many people out here that put on a front and a facade that everything is great everything is okay and we need to to know like even though i've overcome this and you see this you know things are still happening like i'm not just 100% okay all the time right. and that's that's there's okay to be that way that
2: comes with surviving
0: ooh i like i need to like, write that let me write that down so i don't forget yo, it there's baggage that I'm, comes with surviving
1: people don't get that and like that's the thing i i often find in like relationships um especially romantic relationships right mm-hmm. like a lot of men are attracted to my you know my tenacity my surviving my boldness my joy yes but i'm like You don't understand the darkness that comes with that. Got you. Like some days I can't get out of bed. Like some days, like I'm crying for no reason. Some days I'm triggered all over again from something that you might not have even done. Yes. Right. And so, and it's real. And even in my friendships, close relationships, like my day to day life, like there is baggage that comes with surviving and, I have learned to.
0: That needs to be um, a T-shirt, Leah. <laughs> I was literally just
1: thinking that. I was just thinking that. That's crazy. Write that,
0: that down. down. Really? I got. I already <laughs> got it. I already got it.
1: <laughs> it's like, cause that's so real, man. And it's like I've I've learned to look at my baggage. It's like, I mean, there's certain bags that I could put down. You know what I'm saying? Like through therapy, through self love, self care. But there's certain bags that I might have with me my whole life. So I've learned how to like. Um, look at them as beautiful, not necessarily something that is constantly weighing me down.
0: Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, okay. So I just want to go back to you were talking about your relationship with your mom and how mm-hmm. you um, you were the closest to her and you you know you would even sleep in the same bed. Um, could you just walk me through? Just one day that you had with your mom, like one of the best days ever you had with your mom, because I I know a couple of different experiences I've had with my great grandmother Mm -hmm. and even thinking of my parents now, some days that I've had in life where I was just like, yo, this was the most incredible day ever with them. Could you just walk us through one of those days, one of the positive days?
1: You know, I one's ever really asked you that. And like, as soon as while you were talking, like all these memories started popping up in my head. Like, okay. that's so funny. So
0: <laughs> I do this. Leah. I'm, no, I'm with you. <laughs> I love it. It's so great.
1: So my mom worked a lot. She would work like sometimes like 17 to 19 hour shifts and I, I wouldn't see her often. And then, you know, when she was home, she'd be like out with her boyfriend because she could finally live her life. Yes. But when she was home, she was always cooking. In the kitchen. My mother's Italian and German, so she could throw down. We actually season our food. I just want to throw that out there. Um, we're the type of white who seasons
0: their food. So. No, that's funny. That's funny. Because
1: <laughs> like, I don't get those jokes because my mom was Italian. She, she but was um, it. she would always be cooking. And I remember one day um, I was obsessed with Outcast, You yes. know, Andre 2000, Big Boy and all that. Of course. And it's when um, Hey Ya! came out. Okay. And I was like, I, so like you always see me dancing on Instagram now, right? Well, was it when I was a kid, I would always do that. And my mom was in the kitchen cooking and I remember grabbing the broom, using it as a microphone and like dancing on her. Yes. I was always like shaking my ass on my mom and she'd be <laughs> like, Leah Marie, because Marie's my middle name. Okay. She, I remember just like she was upset or stressed out or something. And I just remember dancing on her and like she was like, you know, trying to get me out the kitchen. But eventually, like she just broke down laughing. And I remember always being able to make my mom laugh, like no matter how mad she was at me or how annoyed she was at me because I was a badass little kid. Okay. <laughs> I was extremely bad. I was oh, bad. I was really?
0: disrespectful. I couldn't even see. I could Okay. Man. Looking now, it's so incredible what you learn about people just by having conversation. You right. were a problem child.
1: I was so disrespectful. My mom would beat my ass. I was wow. so bad.
0: Really? Yeah, and I feel
1: like Yes, I was bad because, like, I was a baby out of five. I was spoiled, you know. I grew up in an abusive home, so I didn't know how to communicate. Okay, I just knew how to, like, you know, yell and scream and cry and all that. And so it was like, who I am today is a miracle compared to the child I was. Like,
0: oh man, growing up. That that's that's really interesting because I would have never guessed that you had any type of issues as a child. But maybe I don't know. I don't know what I thought. A but. lot
1: of people say that I'm like, really, when I when people say that it actually makes me happy because I carried a lot of guilt from being like a bad child, especially losing your mom. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like when you fight with your mom so much or if you were disrespectful to her or something and then she dies. It's like you carry that guilt with you. And I've, I carried that guilt with me for a very, very long time. But not until I started to dig and to realize the root of why I acted that way. And I just wanted to be loved and, you know, shown affection. Like my mother wasn't the most affectionate woman. My family's not the most affectionate family. You know, I would lash out in different ways. Mm-hmm. So now I don't really carry that guilt with me anymore. But I was a ghetto ass little bad kid. Oh, man. <laughs> so bad.
0: So let me ask you this because you did mm-hmm. just say you said you felt guilt. Now, mm-hmm. did you feel like you contributed to her passing in any way uh even though you know that's not the case right did you feel like that
1: yes okay. I did um I was actually told that like after I moved out to New Jersey um I lived with my sister and her husband and at the time her her husband was extremely abusive mentally and verbally and all of that and um He um, would tell me that I was the reason my mom died.
2: Whoa. Yeah, like look me in
1: my face and tell me I was, you know, so stressful or I was so um, stressful and so disrespectful that I I pushed her over the edge because she died of a heart attack. Okay. So I remember being 13, 14 years old and for a long time thinking that I was the reason that she died. It was some heavy shit. Like, who says that to a kid? Like, that's
0: crazy. I mean... I'm learning more and more. It it happens more often than not. It's a lot of adults mm-hmm. that are verbally abusive, even if uh, you, you hear about the physical abuse, but verbal abuse is detrimental. Like it, it could really affect not just the child, but any human being. Right. Um. And, you know, that's why I try my best to to edify with my words. But and, and you know, I'm not perfect either, but it, it's just right. You, you, you really got to watch what you say. Um, you really do. So. You went through losing your mom at a young age. She had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. You, you you have this guilt of thinking maybe you were the cause. And then you have this other individual even telling you that you're the cause. And then during this time of bereavement, you find you actually find a passion. And that passion was writing, correct? Yes. Wow. OK, mm-hmm. so so how did this start? And were you any good as a kid
1: yes. okay. i started off a genius man because
0: okay. <laughs> that's not always the case there's a lot of things that i started in life and other people have started Correct. in life and you are trash at it
1: Right. <laughs> well as a kid i found the first poem i ever wrote my brother actually has it in like, a photo album somewhere i guess and i gotta find it because when i'm famous man i'm selling that listen you know what
0: I'm <laughs> listen yes
1: and okay. so when i so i first started writing so I'm the baby out of five, I have five siblings. My oldest sister is the one, she is 17 years older than me. That's the one I moved out here with. But the sister under her, I'm really really close with her okay. and she like you know, she started her healing journey um much earlier than I cuz she's older than me. So she would journal a lot and write a lot. And after my mom died, I kind of like um went within and like closed myself off and I think she could tell. So she bought me a notebook and she told me to write. She was like, write your feelings and how you feel. And I was like, what? Like, to me, expressing your your emotions and your feelings was such a foreign concept that when she even brought that up to me, I was like, how? How do I get this out? Like, what? Like, I did not understand it, like, at all. So one day, I remember it just getting so bad. And instead of, like, I always say this. And it's graphic, but it's true. Instead of picking up a knife to slip my wrists, I picked up a pen wow. and I wrote because I was extremely suicidal at the time. I really, really wanted to take my own life. And um, something that is greater than me just like, told me to hold on a little longer. And so that's how I found poetry. And I would write and write and write. And I would stay up to like four in the morning writing and reading my Bible and that's like
0: passion. That's praying. Passion. Oh, my goodness. Yes.
1: Yeah. And like I didn't know that what I was writing was poetry and I didn't share it with anyone. So no one really knew um, okay. until I was much older. Okay. So r- writing became my own personal way of saving my own life.
0: That's that's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So during this. So you had been writing, you say, what, about 13 years old, maybe that same year your mom passed, You you, mm-hmm. you began writing. And 3 years after losing your mom, you encounter another tragedy inside your own body. Um I believe at the age of 16 you suffer from an aneurysm that causes you to have a stroke.
1: Yes, I had a um a ruptured brain and aneurysm that caused a hemorrhagic stroke. Um
0: Do you remember year- the details of that specific day?
1: I remember everything.
0: Okay. Can you lay, um, yeah, lay that out for us.
1: Sure. Um. So a year before, my brother-in-law had kicked me out because, um, you know, he was abusive and a little crazy. So he kicked me out one day. I came home late from church. So I moved in with, my, in with my brothers, my two brothers. So at this time, I'm living with my brothers and I'm heavy in church, like going to church, super heavy, like four times a week, five times a week. Gotcha. And there was a conference that weekend. It was like a youth something. And I was a praise dancer. So I went to an all black church. Okay. So if anybody knows about <laughs> black Pentecostal churches, like I was literally the only white girl in a church of like six hundred people. Okay. For for over ten years. Um, so it greatly impacted my life in such a beautiful way. So we were about to kill this praise dance. I was I'm telling you it was a Kurt Carr song. If anyone knows who Kurt Carr is. Oh, yeah, he's you know from Jersey. To kill it. <laughs> right. So um that weekend I was getting really, really bad headaches. And a woman who, like, kind of became, like, my mentor um, took me to the doctor that Thursday to get my blood work done. Because, like, I, I there was something going on with my body. I didn't know what it was. I was very, very, very thin and um, the same height as I am now. So I thought maybe there was something wrong with my blood or something going on. So that weekend, um, that Thursday, I got my blood work done. And that weekend, I spent the whole weekend with her. And that Saturday, I was at church and we were about to praise dance. And I get up well no we're like singing praise and worship and all of a sudden I felt really funny like my whole body got like tingly and it was like I was like get rose get rose because rose is the name of the woman that you know took care of me and as soon as I stood up to go walk to find rose it was like the ground fell from beneath me and before this I've never passed out a day in my life like I've had health issues my whole life but nothing like this and I passed out and I remember Rose picking me up and carrying me to the back room and just saying, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. And then I like fully went unconscious. And the next thing I remember is, um, this is a little graphic, but yeah, I mean, life, is, life is graphic. It. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, I remember waking up to my own vomit in my nose because I was throwing up mm-hmm. and a sign of a brain hemorrhage, especially in young people, is vomiting. Um, but because I was young, the nurses did not assume that that's what it was. They just assumed that I was either drunk or on drugs. And I know this because I could hear them talking. And the nurse was like, poor girl, her mom's dead. She's probably drunk or on drugs. Wow. And I literally just came from church, never been drunk a day in my life, never did drugs a day in my life. And so there I am, my brain is hemorrhaging and they don't know what's going on. And, um, My, you know, they're telling my family, my sister comes, the one that I lived with prior to this. And, you know, she's talking to me and I could hear everything that's going on, but I can't move my body. So I'm paralyzed. Like my brain was literally hemorrhaging and they didn't know. That has to be super frightening. It was, was, I actually had extreme peace, yo. Really? My faith held me down. That's how I still hold to a lot of my core beliefs because like, No matter how much of a heathen people call me or whatever words that the church has called me, I know without a shadow of a doubt that the God that I believe in or the power that I believe in that is greater than me Mm -hmm. held me down in that moment because I was not afraid. I was not afraid. Like I didn't know what was going on. And like, at that time I was like, I was 16 years old. I was afraid of everything. I was extremely insecure. I've been abused my whole life, you know? So in this moment to have such extreme peace, like greater peace than I've ever felt in my life was amazing. And so um, I remember the doctor putting an IV in me and I still have the scar. I'm looking at it right now and I pray that it never goes away. It's the only scar I could see from all the surgeries I had. And um, I slipped into a coma or I went unconscious and they put me into a coma and, um, They flew me on a helicopter to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, where um, they finally did. They did a test at first and they said I was OK. And they did another test and they found out that my, at that point, my brain had been hemorrhaging for almost four hours and I should be dead at this point. So they did two emer- two emergency brain surgeries. And then a third one. Um, So I've had a total of three brain surgeries. I have a huge scar that goes from the middle of my neck up to the left side of my head. Um, I have a VP shunt that goes from my head to my stomach, which basically is keeping me alive. Um, And after I woke up from having surgery, my short term memory was completely gone, like complete completely. Like
0: Like, you can't even remember your name. Was it that bad?
1: No, my long term memory was always there. Like I okay. knew who I was, I knew who my family was, I knew my past memories. Like they were there. Okay. But any new information coming in was not sticking. Um, this is very common in brain injury survivors, no matter what kind of brain injury you have or what part of the brain it's in, and they're not sure why.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the crazy thing about my stroke is that um, it was on the left side of my brain. Yes. Which is the part of your brain that controls language and writing. And I'm a whole writer and a whole person (laughs) who uses... Isn't that crazy? That's incredible.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And that's, like, the details, like, the minuscule details that come with this experience are just so, like... God is good. You know, like, you, and I, you can't I remember, even explain. Like, yeah, that's a story to tell that people would be like, wow, God is real. Right. And, you know, so after they, I did. I had three brain surgeries, I was in an induced coma. I came out. I had no short term memory. I had a friend who um got engaged and I was like, how, how are you and Jamal? And she was like, oh, we just got engaged. And like literally five minutes after that, I was like, how are you and Jamal? And She's uh-huh. like, we just got engaged. And I said it at least five times. And at first it was funny, but then after a while it got a little scary because they were telling my family, I would never be back to normal. Um, And at this time, my memory was so bad that like I would wake up and like, not remember waking up and not remember who came to visit me. But this whole time um, that woman rose who took care of me um, was in the hospital room with me. And every time I would wake up, she would read to me what happened. And she would like, she, she printed out information and she would tell me what happened to me over and over again. And then, I had to go through rehab. I had to go through physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech and language therapy. Um, speech and language therapy helped me with my memory the most. I had to relearn how to learn things because memory and learning go hand in hand. Yes. And if you have no memory, you have no learning capabilities. Um, so that was really, really hard and really scary. I think that's, it started to get really scary for me when I started to realize I had a memory issue. Um, so I was in the hospital, you know, I learned a lot. And then after I got out of the hospital, um, I went, I was a junior in high school and they tried to get me to drop all my classes, but, um, I was like, no, God's going to heal me. God's going to heal me. Because when I was in the hospital, I was in intensive care and I was praying and there's usually always a nurse in the room with you when you're in intensive care. But for this moment, my nurse stepped out for some reason and I was like, Oh, perfect time to pray. Cause I was like super spiritual.
2: Right. Okay.
1: So I prayed and I was like, God, like, not why is this happening to me, but I know that there's a purpose behind all of this. Yes. And I really believe God spoke to me. Either God spoke to me or I'm crazy or a little bit of both. <laughs> and he he or she was like, I don't do anything less than perfect. Mm. And this one dramatic tear fell down my face and I like, wiped it away. And when I tell you, I hold on to those words every single day of my life. Like, that's what got me through my recovery. When everyone else around me was looking at me like I was crazy because I kept repeating myself or I would forget little things or I would forget people's names or I would forget where I was going or when I sat in front of the principal at my school and they told me that I had to drop all my classes and I cried and I was like, no, because God is going to heal me like i looked insane yeah. but god really healed me yes. and i really recovered really and i did. really re- like recovered with a bang like yeah. boom bitch i'm here right. i'm recovered <laughs> like and like it took me years but um it was crazy like it was such a crazy experience and it's really hard cuz brain injuries are an invisible injury okay um i had no physical deficits my smile was crooked a little bit for a while cuz okay. when school. you ha- I'm sorry what you say
0: because of the stroke
1: yeah so like when you have a stroke on a certain part of your brain the opposite side of your body is weakened um so my smile was a little crooked but I had no physical deficits except for like I lost a lot of weight but you can gain that back so I think the most frustrating part of it all was that when I was not healed and when I was not recovered people were assuming that I was using my memory issue as an excuse or as a crutch or something like that. People and
0: low, man. Oh, man. <laughs>
1: it, it really, really showed me like the ignorance of people yes. and like the callousness of people. Right. Like I yes. just had three brain surgeries. I'm 16. Like right. I don't remember shit. Uh, Calm down. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. God's going to heal me, but he ain't do it yet. Right. Like, <laughs> right. So it was, it was really frustrating. And I had a lot of resentment towards people for that for a long time. Okay. but um, it took me years and I did outpatient therapy and I did it at St. Lawrence Rehab where I was the only teenager. It was like a whole bunch of old people because like Mm. it was like a nursing home type place. So everyone would stare at me and be so confused while I was there. But um, from writing poetry and memorizing my poetry, I was able to get my memory back. And now here I am.
0: All right, so okay, can you tell me uh, about Miss Rose? Is, is is she still around? Is she still in the picture? She's still in your life?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, we're not as close as we used to be because she moved to Tennessee. She got married okay. and gotcha. um, moved to Tennessee. Okay,
2: good And sense. um,
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't wait when this drops so I can t- you know I give her a shout out. Yeah, but um, she's now a nurse, and you know she's told me from being in that um, situation with me in the hospital and like you know, being exposed to all that, it really encouraged her to pursue a nursing career. And now she's a nurse. So,
0: oh, that's beautiful. Um,
1: so you I think even that's inspired amazing. her and
0: in your just, your your time of uh, tragedy. You inspired her as well. That's that's a it's beautiful. insane.
1: It's like that's why I know that that experience was bigger than me. Yes, like you know, like it was for a bigger purpose than I. Like it gave me a reason to live. But there are countless stories that I've heard from people how that experience made them believe in God, believe in themselves, believe in something greater than themselves, and. Hearing that, it makes me know that, like, it was worth it, to be honest. Would I do it again? I don't know. Maybe. Would I want to? Probably
0: not. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Without all the pain and tragedy, yes, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right?
1: No, but it was worth it. It was really worth it.
0: So, now, earlier in our conversation, when you were talking about uh, having this insane peace uh, Mm -hmm. at the time where your body was completely uh paralyzed and you could only hear what people was saying, were saying or saying could that piece be because maybe you because you wanted to die anyway or
1: well at that time mm-hmm. i wasn't suicidal any longer okay like oh okay. there was this was three years after i moved out here okay and i was very very involved in my church and in my faith So I kind of like buried myself into my religion. Um, I used to be an apostolic Pentecostal. And if you know anything about that. I know all about that. (laughs) Yeah. And I used to not wear pants, not wear makeup, not curse. And um, I was very, very, very conservative. But my faith in God gave me a will to live. Like I knew I had a purpose. I knew I had a purpose in this world. And I don't think it truly hit me until I had a stroke and I survived. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. This is my proof that I needed. I'm meant to be here. Like if anything was going to take me out, it would have been this. And it didn't. So now I have to do something with my life. Yes. Um, So that piece, I don't believe it was from that. OK, because um, I think I would have died. I would have let go.
0: Very true. That's a good point. That's a good point.
1: Yeah. Like because when you don't have the will to live, you just don't live.
0: That's true you and know, you like there's people
1: who survive tragic things all the time like car accidents and freak accidents who have an insane will to live and then they survive. It's because they have a will to live deep down inside them. So something greater than me continued my life. Wow. For sure. Okay.
0: So now you told me what the doctors were saying about your fate and all of that and you were determined to, you know, get back to what um most would call, I guess, quote-unquote, normal. Um mm-hmm. I want to know what Steps you took to get back into writing.
1: Um, I didn't write for a while. Okay. And then I fell in what I thought was love because you know when you young,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you think everything's love, right? And I got my heart broken, which wasn't really heart rate because then I got my heart broken for real. And bitch, <laughs> oh my god, like <laughs> oh my god, it was awful. But I think from experiencing pain and needing that outlet again, um. I just started writing. Writing has always been my best friend. Like writing has always been there no matter what. So um, I just felt that itch again, like that passion come back. And then from knowing that I survived something so tragic and knowing that my voice had a purpose and that I had a message, I wanted the world to know that God loved them, that he is our savior and loves our souls. Like that was really the cat. And and to tell the world my story about how God healed me. Like, I wanted to tell the world how God healed me. And I literally have like, and so it really pushed me to like write poems about it, to share poems at my college. I um I went to Mercer County community college out here and a woman from my church named Diane, I will always forever be thankful for her doing this. She was part of the Christian fellowship club and asked me to come share my poems. And I did. And um people like them and then i got invited to speak at a church and i'm getting ahead of myself but like no that I got, I, that
0: was that's literally the next question like i was going to ask when mm-hmm. you when when your work started to get noticed
1: mm-hmm. yeah it, w- it was kind of accidental well nothing is without ac- uh, without purpose you know but like yeah. it was never my intention to be here and i want that to be clear okay. <laughs> like it was never
2: understood my
1: intention to be leah james i swear and like my closest friends at the time will tell you like, nah, Leah was always the awkward, quiet white girl in the corner. <laughs> now I'm the awkward, beautiful white woman on the stage. Right. Like, you know, like not much has changed besides my confidence, but um, I started sharing poems at my college. And then a woman invited me to speak at her church where I told my story of my brain aneurysm. And then I wrote a new poem and I kept sharing poetry and my purpose started to like un- unveil itself to me yes. and everything that, you know god said he would do he's done and it happened like it happened without me trying and that's the crazy part um about my life like just giving in to the to the purpose that my i believe my life has um doors started to open so once i did that i, I put my poems on youtube mm-hmm. and then i would get like invites to go to different like conferences and stuff like that and then um, I submitted a poem to a group called True Voices in New York City. Yes. And I got to perform with one of my favorite artists um, named Propaganda. He's a like Christian rapper um, slash spoken word artist. I don't know if he identifies himself as those titles, but that's what he does.
2: Right.
1: Um, and like a month before, I just saw him perform. And then like I was sitting right next to him at a show, my first show ever. <laughs> and I got to perform in front of him. Wow. Like it was crazy. And you he gave make me advice stuff up. like that's, the whole time.
0: That's incredible.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, right. And I'm like, yo, and I told my sister, I'm like, yo, remember that guy that we saw like at the um at this show, like I just sat next to him the whole show and he gave me all this advice. And so um, I joined True Voices. But even before I joined True Voices, I was sharing poetry at my church. Yes. Um, so from speaking at other churches, I was doing that personally at my own church, like every time we had a youth conference or something like that. So the first time I ever performed a memorized piece was at my old church church. Um, and then I joined True Voices, and then I was part of the New York chapter, then I was part of the New Jersey chapter, and then the Philadelphia chapter. And then I ended up quitting True Voices. Um, I don't, I'm not really into like politics, mm-hmm. like when, pe- when people are in competition with each other. Okay. And I just had to, I had to bounce. So okay. once I, once I left, um, that's when Leah James, quote unquote, really took off. Like my brand or whatever, Leah James, um, took off from there. I released, um, Dear Black Man.
0: I, yeah, poem. I've seen that one for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I released that one. And of course, I'm a white woman, so that was super controversial. But it went viral pretty much, like mm-hmm. before viral was a thing. Like, right. you know, it, and I got, now it has like over 25,000 views on it on my personal YouTube channel. And from that, I got to speak at Penn State University about race relations in America because. I mean, I went to college, you know, I took a lot of courses on race relations, but also my life being a white woman in black spaces my entire life. Um, I got to speak to a whole bunch of rich white people about how racist they are. It was really great. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a dream come true. I'm like,
0: I want to do and it how, again. How were you received?
1: Very well, actually. People cried and people really opened up and um I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity because it showed me that people can actually have a true conversation about the evils of this country and the hatred and racism towards black people, how disgusting it is. And truly, like, I don't want to say repent of their evil, but like acknowledge it and be empowered to make a change, Um, especially white people, because Mm -hmm. I think more white people need to talk to each other about it because, you know, White privilege is a thing, and unfortunately, people listen to white voices, um, you know. And it it was it showed me like how much power my voice has, and that I need to do this more often. And it was it was a lot of layers to it, but it was yeah. amazing.
0: And it, honestly, I've never heard a white person speak that way at all.
1: <laughs> that, see, that's the thing. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, where I'm from, like white people are just a different type of white i don't oh know i think it's because like we're exposed to like black people in an intimate way i like okay. you know like we live with each other i don't know man like but i am unique and the the more i travel and the more white people i meet i'm actually like oh i am different y'all
0: are crazy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so let me ask you this um and thank you mm-hmm. for sharing that because that's definitely needed um there's something that you're incredible at um and you you, you do it so well so i have to ask uh What are the ingredients for turning tragedy into beauty?
1: Man. um, A lot of tears. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know. I really don't know how I do it. Um, I cry a lot. And I know that sounds so simple. But there is such a beauty in releasing the tragedy that is within you. Yes. Um, It's like proven that tears heal you like getting crying depending on what kind of crying you're doing actually can release toxins from your brain
0: um yes i've heard that yes
1: yeah and it's real it's real and like there's actually a study on tears where they like would have people cry for like different reasons like cry out of happiness out of sadness out of fear out of you know pain and they would look at the tears under a microscope and it's each tear for each emotion had a different like molecular build or something like that i don't know (laughs) if that's the correct terminology but um I have learned to release like to cry um and for the longest time I got made fun of a lot because I'm so emotional and even to this day I'm not gonna lie like it is hard for me to accept my emotionalness and like the more I get close to a person or the more open I feel with them the more I cry and it's like a river (laughs) like that just won't stop but um I've learned to allow myself to feel the pain and not run from it Cause when you run from it, you become numb, and when you become numb, you don't just not feel your pain, you don't feel anything at all. So not only do you not feel the pain, you don't feel the beauty that's to come.
0: Wow. Oh, girl, I wish I could like, have had a snap track. I oh snap.
1: that was so good. That <laughs> yes. was man. I'm glad this is I'm dropping jazz. You are man. for sure. You are. You are. <laughs> I, mean, I need to listen to this when I'm depressed and can't get out of bed. Right. But like, like you know. So I've learned to not let myself feel it. And to know that, like, I am ultimately the author of my own life. Yes, I have faith in God, but God has given us a free will. So Mm -hmm. whatever has happened to me, I have the power to change the trajectory of my story. Like, I could easily be a stroke survivor and not believe that I would get better and still have memory loss issues. And don't get me wrong, my brain injury does affect me still to this day, but... I could, it could be so much so that it paralyzed me, you know, like yes. I could be stuck in depression. I could be, I could never have asked anyone for help. You know, I could be stuck being angry and being heartbroken and all these things that I have made the choice that like, I'm going to be alive. And if I'm going to be here, I'm going to try to make the best of my time on this earth. Like, I just have to, like, I just refuse to believe that my life is going to be one sad story after another. Like, what kind of creator is that cruel to allow that to happen? And so I don't believe that our creator is that cruel. I believe that there is power within ourselves to create the reality that we desire. And yes, certain people have more privileges than others. And I'm not talking about, like, monetary, you know, like, goodness that comes out of life, but creating your own happiness, creating your own beauty within yourself and within your relationships. Um, I know I feel like I'm rambling, but no, like- you're
0: not rambling. This is good stuff.
1: <laughs> There's no like one, two, three step to it. You know, like I think it's a journey for everyone. It's sitting with your tragedy and your trauma and what has happened to you. And what I've been repeating to myself is like, what has happened to me is not my fault, but my healing is indeed my responsibility. It is no one else's responsibility, but my own to heal myself from what I've been through and to create the joy that I desire. Um,
2: And I think
1: now more than ever, that's something that I live by. And even recently, you know, I've been challenged with things that come up in life and, you know, dealing with heartbreak and, you know, the anniversary of my mother's death, the anniversary of, like, um, the worst breakup of my life happened a year ago. Like, wow. you know, like, dealing with these things, I'm so easily triggered, but I don't stay there long. And I have found so much beauty in loss, so much life in death. Um, and I carry that with me through whatever I go through. Like, when something dies, there has to be something that births. Like, you know, like, it's a cycle. Like, the cycle of life, it's like the cycle of our experiences.
0: Definitely. Um, I sound like a fucking hippie. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is good information. Like I I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on, on on most of those points, and that kind of brings me to this. Uh, you talked about you know it's it's different for everybody. So I want to know what your personal definition of success is.
1: I would say contentment.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, like I will know that I am successful.
0: When I am content within myself. Hmm. That's that's a great answer that you really don't have to even dive into that. But that's mm-hmm. that's a great answer. And I, I honestly. Yeah. I think that's what the majority would say, the definition, their definition of success is, but it gets so convoluted and.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: uh you see other people thriving in different things and it's not even really what you want. It's just, I, I I don't know. It's something in our brains. that think we have to do exactly what everybody else is doing. Right. But, um Yeah. That's a, that's a great definition of content.
1: I used to think that like you needed a lot of money to be successful.
0: Right. Right.
1: Because when you're raised poor, you're raised in poverty
0: and you see that's other what people? you right. strive for. Yes.
1: Money. Like, and like there was a point in my life where I had a lot of money. Okay. I had a lot, like I bought a new car. I bought, like I was buying, I, w- I had a lot of money and I spent it all like, but it did not make me happy. Yes. And I, I was not happy with the things I bought. I never had nice things. I never had sneakers. I never had, you know, nice purses and nice clothes and all that stuff. And then when I got this money, I bought all this stuff and I'm like, Yo, like, I don't want none of this no more. Like, I literally gave away, like, 80% of my belongings two years ago. Like, I became homeless. That's a whole other story. But, um, right. like, I gave away all my stuff. And I'm like, wow, like, I really thought this money and these belongings would make me feel secure and make me feel happy. But that is not what I yearn for. I yearn for stability, but stability within myself. And so I think that looks different for everyone. Like, don't get me wrong. I still want to be able to pay my rent on time. But that comes, you know, like that is a form of contentment, being taken care of, being well taken care of. Um, And, yeah, so I know that when I reach a level of contentment within myself, spiritually, mentally, physically, monetarily, I will feel successful. Like, okay, I have done what I have set out to accomplish.
0: Yes. Now we gotta definitely. You you can't just brush past the. You know you were homeless. You, oh. you wanna, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I know how much time we had. I, I mean, so
0: much. Uh, we we could <laughs> we could talk about that for you know a brief moment. What what caused this? Uh, w- well, at what period in your life did you become homeless? Um. Well,
1: I've been homeless a couple times, okay. but. When people think of homelessness, we often think of like, you know, the people sleeping Sleeping on the 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 beach, right,
0: right, right, right.
1: But that's not homelessness. Like homelessness is not having a place of your own. And um, I was in a relationship with a man who was 10 years older than me. And I thought he loved me. And, you know, he talked about marrying me and he took me to his church, tried to save my soul again and all that stuff. And um, it just wasn't working out between us. But he told me that I will always have a home with him and that, you know, at the time I was a full-time artist and I was traveling to New York, um, every weekend. I, I live in Trenton, New Jersey. So he was like, you know, you could just move in with me. And then I gave up my apartment, packed up all my stuff. And the week that I was supposed to move in with him, we broke up.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And I had
1: nowhere to go. And, um, he knew I had nowhere to go and i i didn't know what to do but then this amazing woman that i know um who was a principal of a high school out here her name is melissa she's one of the most beautiful souls i've ever met um was like you know i have a room here you can come look at it if you want and the day i went to go look at her room she gave me a key to her whole house Wow! and was like "You, you can stay here as long as you want yeah so like I was staying there. And then, you know, um, she has two adopted daughters. So, like when they would come home, I would like, you know, sleep in her basement here and there. And it was such a great thing. Cause I didn't have to sleep in my car. I didn't have to sleep on the floor. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have to sleep anywhere, but it still was not a place of my own. Um, so that really took like a mental toll on me, including the breakup, you know, like, so like a man who told me he was going to marry me and all this stuff, we break up, now I'm homeless, now I have nowhere to go. So she gave me a key to her house. And then I would stay in when I was performing in New York, I would stay with one of my great friends, Rebecca, she opened her home to me. Um, so I think I was homeless for about eight months, eight or nine months. Mm -hmm. I don't remember because it was such a stressful time in my life. It was a blur. Um, and then I found an apartment and someone gave me money for a down payment to move into the apartment. And I moved into the apartment I'm in now with nothing. I slept on the floor um, with my backpack and uh, two sweaters as a pillow. And I slept on the floor with like no curtains on my windows, like Mm. in the middle of the hood. Like it was crazy, like sleeping in this cold ass apartment. Um, And then I finally got an air mattress and I slept on an air mattress for a while, but then I would go to bed hungry all the time. It was rough. And then, Um, I, I just rebuilt my life from the ground up, like literally, and now I'm still in that little apartment, but now I got a desk, I have a bed, I have plates, I have, you know what I'm saying? Like I have things that are my own. Like, um, so yeah, I I was homeless for about, I want to say eight months or maybe more. Um, but it was, it was a really, really rough time in my life, but people were there to help me. Like I never went without. I'll say that. Like, uh-huh. I never slept on the streets. I never went to bed. You know, like starving. Yeah, I was hungry, but I never died. Like you from not eating. Got like you, you know. So, yeah. um. But it was a it was a really it was a rough it was a rough time in my life. It was really, and I was still performing full time, and nobody knew I was homeless.
0: Wow. So let me ask you this, because I asked this on a previous episode too. Now, with all that has happened to you. Do you think you would be who you are today if those things didn't happen? I'm talking Absolutely about. Absolutely not. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah, no, because I've learned so much. Like, man, i be saying some stuff and I'm like, did you just say that? That's really why. <laughs> like, you know, do I apply it to my life all the time? No, but I like, you know, I've learned so much. Um, And to have, I feel like to appreciate things, like I don't appreciate material things. I appreciate deep, soulful things like. You know, from every heartbreak or every loss I've experienced, it has amplified my spiritual journey. It has amplified who I am on the inside, who I am as a woman. It has shown me my strength and my resilience. It has shown me my character. Like when you hit the ground and your face is in that dirt, you can really smell your own breath. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you really know who you are. Like you really can, you really see who you are in moments like that. And I feel like if I never hit the ground, alone um i don't know if i would truly know the strength that i have within myself okay. and the strength to help others like to be like yo i've been to that you could do this you can do that like you can you know what i'm saying like so i'm grateful for everything that i've been through
0: awesome so you shared your uh definition of success with us so i, I just have one more question for you you said mm-hmm. your definition basically was contentment um do you believe that at this moment you are successful no okay
1: not where i want to be i'm not where i want to be okay yeah there's still like a lot of things i want to unpack and heal from to create that contentment within myself
0: that's real i love that yeah that's see that's exactly why i had to have you on because you you're going to keep it real and i think that your story is definitely going to inspire quite a few folks and it should be shared um because you've like I said earlier, you turn and I, I, I really stole this from you. You turn tragedy into beauty. So um, thank, you. thank you for sharing your story. And I'm Thanks sure Thanks
2: listening.
0: <laughs> I'm sure people are going to want to get in touch with you and they're going to want to reach out and book you and buy your merch and all of that stuff. So how can we do that?
1: Um, I have a website, um, MissLeahJames.com, but it's M-S-LeahJames.com um i'm on instagram at leah james but it's leah with two h's because the other one was taken some other white lady with a guitar i (laughs) don't (laughs) know but um and then yeah but if you go on my website you can like reach me anywhere you could reach my email through there my facebook my youtube i have a youtube channel um but missleahjames.com will lead you to all of those places um and my story's on there again so if you wanted to hear another tragic beautiful story go to my website
0: Perfect. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and you want some more encouragement and inspiration, you can follow us on Instagram at SilBBrand. That's S I L B Brand. And if you want to buy our merch, we have t shirts and hoodies available as well. Thank you so much again, Leah. I can't wait Thank to get this episode out. I really appreciate your time. And that's it for now, y'all.